Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. Welcome to another episode. Dan Bentley here and I'm here with Tracy Newman and today we're going to talk to you about what is innovation and we totally get that's not a very innovative topic in itself but we actually get asked this a lot and it's a it's an interesting one to sort of unwrap a bit and delve deep into I guess. So there's a really great quote that I like and we we both like actually by Gary Hamill that we think really kind of frames up innovation so maybe we'll start there and start to talk about that it's actually from this great article this guy wrote on pro bono australia it's actually it's by me we'll, we'll chuck it in the show notes because we do delve deeper into what innovation is and isn't and we're specifically talking about online stuff so that's a, it's a good little article but yeah the, the quote that gary hamill says that i've got at the end of this article is that the goal of innovation is to amaze customers with something that they could never have imagined but after having experienced it can't imagine ever having lived life without it It's a really great quote, isn't it? You know, when you consider some of the great innovations, that's exactly what they are. You know, when you, when you think about like a mobile phone now, prior to everyone walking around with a smartphone, no one would really have been able to imagine having you know, more power than a laptop in your hand that you can do all sorts of things on the go. But now it's like really hard to imagine what it's like to actually live without one. When I was younger, if I was meeting friends, you know, I would just have to be there. And if I wasn't there, they would ring my home and maybe speak to my mum and ask my mum if she knew where I was. Whereas now, you know, people are so lax when it comes to meeting each other. It's like, I'll just send you a text when I'm there or when I get closer and yeah, we'll work it out along the way, you know. And it's just those sort of changes that you can't imagine what it was like prior, but prior, you wouldn't have been able to imagine what it would be like having that flexibility and availability smartphones is a great example isn't it because yeah we we have become so reliant on it i mean i had one recently get damaged and i didn't have a phone for like a day i literally (laughs) so many things i could do it was terrible i I even find the same situation like i remember that too being you know younger and meeting people and you know like you said having to meet there at a specific time and you gave them like a 30 minute period and if they weren't there by then you just like well i'm going because <laughs> they're obviously not coming but yeah it is it's true isn't it you just can't imagine living life without that now and something that people bring up a lot when we talk about innovation as well is that like the difference between like person-centered innovation and i don't know i don't even know what else you could say the other type of innovation is because if it's not person-centered then what is it really is what I would challenge. But I guess we think this way because that's why you're probably listening to this podcast and why, why we do this work is because we're really on board with that idea. But you know, there is that difference. And that quote by Henry Ford, which is the whole thing, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. And I think things like smartphones are a great example. No one ever said, I want a smartphone. But what they did say is I'd love to be able to, you know, the insights would have been more so around, I'd love to be able to be connected to things and be able to have access to information in whenever I need it. There could be all those sorts of things. And I think that's the most important thing is, is that out of that quote, some people go like, well, that's why, you know, why ask people that? You know, they didn't tell Henry Ford they needed a car, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, is that the insight was they wanted a faster horse. Horses weren't fast enough. The car is the solution in that situation. But that's what 
innovation is about. People may not actually say, this is exactly what I need, but they'll say, this is the problem that I'm having, or this is what I think I might need. And then it's our job as the innovators to work, you know, to co-design and work with people to actually go, well, what are the, the options? I'm glad you said that, Dan, because quite often people think innovation sort of starts with this fancy, amazing idea, whereas really innovation starts with a problem. And, you know, when you start talking about problems, you can sort of see people's eyes glazing over because, you know, it's not really exciting to, you know, delve into a problem. However, when you really understand how important problems are to innovation, all of a sudden they start to transform and they can become exciting because that's what gives you the challenge that leads to the innovation. So through, you know, really falling in love with the problem, then that leads you to those really great solutions. And I'm glad that you mentioned the Henry Ford quote because that's, as you know, it gives me a good opportunity to get on my high horse because people do use that as a, as a reason not to consult. However, you know, to your point, it's actually not about consulting on, you know, what, what's our idea, what's our solution. It's actually about consulting on the problem and it's about making sure you really deeply understand what people's needs are because then you can provide that really innovative solution. So, so often people see innovation is just changing things. However, if there's no benefit, if there's no benefit to the client, if there's no benefit to other people, then really it just becomes change for change's sake, not actually leading to an improved outcome for people. So that's one of the really important parts of innovation is that it is actually, you know, a change for a good reason. It's about making something better, isn't it? And it goes into what you said before. It's around what problem does it solve? That's what's really important. You know, someone who is seen as being probably one of the world's greatest innovators at the moment or current day innovators is Elon Musk. You know, he gets spoken about a lot and he's not necessarily first to market with things, but what he does is he's really good at understanding the problem and then he's good at really good at understanding who would be the first users of a solution to solve that problem. And then he's great at PR <laughs> and getting it in front of those people and going like, you need this thing, like you really need this thing. And whilst we look at that and we go, well, we look, you know, a lot of the organisations that we're working with and maybe people that are listening to this podcast aren't trying to send people to Mars. There's some things to take away from that in terms of, you know, I think there's a, there's an, there's a real myth for some people that innovation needs to be first to market or you need to have something that's never been done before. And, and it's not about that. It's about really understanding that problem and really understanding like what is a solution that's going to solve that particular problem. And it's the people that do that well and execute it well that are innovative. It's not necessarily the person that's first to market. That happens all the time, that the first to market is not the best. It's the person who can actually execute and get the, the right fit, the right pricing point, the right way of delivering it, the right way of marketing it, all those sorts of things. If you don't have that stuff as well, then it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. Where we see that really playing out in the sector is actually it's not so much the person who has the best solution. Quite often it's the person who has the best solution that sits well within the system that, you know, people are operating in. So, you know, being the first to come up with an innovative idea in the social sector isn't necessarily going to be what's most successful. What we see as being really successful is things that integrate well within the system that the people that you're creating for 
live, exist and work within. So that's where that further collaboration and that systems thinking and those things, they really define a great innovator more so than the person who gets their solution finished first. Yeah. And I also think another thing that we hear a lot in the sector is people that are obsessed with a particular solution. You know, we do a lot of workshops and we do a lot of projects with organisations and you know, you have things come in that become like a buzzword. So we'll be running an innovation project and the thing you have to be the most careful of 10 years ago was everything becoming an app. At the moment, it's probably like AI. (laughs) Everyone's like, the solution to everything is AI. Like we need to work out a way to, I don't know, serve better cups of tea to, or like make, you know, better meal choices for people in aged care homes. Okay, this solution is definitely an AI. It's like, oh, <laughs> is it? <laughs> There's probably some practical things that are still innovative that don't have to be so sexy, you know, <laughs> that can be practical and solve that problem. But sometimes people get caught up in the, yeah, but come on, like AI, that would be so cool. Like, I want to be able to go home and tell my friends, like, we're working on an AI in my organization. And people would be like, wow, that's amazing. Whereas if you say, hey, we've just hired this new tea lady and she's got an amazing new list of service tasks and a customer experience journey that we've created that's going to be game-changing, your friends probably aren't going to be so excited by the sounds of that. And I think that's one of the other traps is people falling in love with the, the excitement of the latest technology. And it doesn't always have to be the latest technology that solves a problem. There's a lot of really practical things that can be really innovative still. I've got a great example that you hear talked about widely, and that's elevator. So there was elevators within a building and there were constant complaints about the elevators being too slow. So when they looked at that, they they costed out, well, you know, what's it going to cost for us to implement, you know, this great technology that, you know, corrals people so that, you know, it goes to certain floors and not every every elevator goes to every floor and, you know, getting new motors and maybe new elevators because the elevators were old and, and there was sort of this lengthy period of time that was spent investigating all the ways to make the elevators go faster. They then actually reframed the problem and did that sort of insight. And what they actually realised wasn't that waiting for elevators was a problem. It's that people were bored whilst they were waiting for an elevator. So they did what all good designers do and, and understood that what people really like is themselves and they installed mirrors. <laughs> so instead of spending thousands of dollars in, in you know, reinventing the elevators, they spent, you know, $100 getting mirrors to put near where people were waiting for the elevator and then people were so captivated looking at themselves they were no longer complaining about how long the elevator took. So you're right, sometimes it's the low-tech smart solution that's actually really innovative. That's a hilarious example. As someone that's been busted doing my hair before (laughs) in an elevator, when the doors open and someone walks in, it can be a little embarrassing. But, you know, thanks for putting those mirrors in there. That's what they're for. Okay, there you go. They're equally good and annoying. I kind of feel like they're good because you can do your hair or, you know, see what you look like before you move into, uh, you know, the, the office or something like that. But also when it's a really packed elevator and you don't know where to look, Even when you try and look at the wall, (laughs) you're looking at something, you're looking at someone, that's when they can also be a double-edged sword, you know, like they can be not so good on the other end because you're like, oh, I can't literally look anywhere where I'm not (laughs) somehow looking at someone or something like that. So interesting. That's an interesting story. Yeah, the article that I wrote was actually specifically around digital solutions. We wrote this article six months into COVID and everybody was like, quickly get your services online, get your services online. And I wanted to at the point 
make a point that just putting your services online wasn't innovative in itself. If you literally just like lifted and shifted the thing and instead of someone talking to you, them filling out a form, not necessarily innovation because it doesn't. And why that's the case is that it's not about the solution. It's about what the solution does for people. I think where people were innovative in that space is when some of the things that they may have had to ask people, they were able to use some data that they may have already had or they could get people to enter in a specific piece of information and they're able to pull some, some from some sort of a database and then all of a sudden made that experience better online, faster, easier, more friendly, more human. I don't know. There was a number of different things that people did in this time, but they're the ones that were innovative. It was about that they thought about the experience and they thought about how they could improve that experience, didn't just put the questions that somebody would ask face-to-face into some online form (laughs) where now the person has to sit there and type out all those questions, which is actually more difficult. But as you get the idea, it's not really necessarily innovative. Like Tracy said before, it's not about just change for change's sake. It's to make actually things better. And I think sometimes when organisations are thinking about improvements, they're often thinking about improvements from their own perspective. And so that's where you get people, you know, putting the same form online and they're thinking about, well, it'll save us time asking those questions, to go back to your example, is going to save us all this time asking these questions. So all they've done is, I guess, move the effort from within their organisation out onto their clients and they haven't actually thought about, well, how can we remove this effort? How can we get rid of this effort altogether? Is it really necessary? How can we make this a better experience, not just for our organisation but for the experience as a whole for both our organisation and our client? And I think sometimes that's where innovation and cost-cutting get confused (laughs) and, you know, because people are you know using I guess a a more contemporary delivery method they feel like it's an innovation whereas in terms of the actual client experience sometimes they've actually gone backwards so you know from the client's perspective that's not innovative at all it's actually annoying and there's a big difference between innovation and annoyance. Are you looking for innovative ways for your organization to deliver more impact? Take our online assessment and receive a customised report in your inbox that highlights exactly what to do next. It takes only five minutes to fill out and it's completely free. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au slash self-assessment. Look, it does come up every now and then you get a scenario where somebody is like, okay, we want people to start using this form now because it's cheaper or it's, you know, for us, it somehow works better for the organization. How can you make them do it? No offense to anyone that's a CFO, but it's a very CFO type question. <laughs> you know, it's like, a, you know, this is going to save us money. We can get people to do this. It's going to take operational expense out of our organization. You guys know how to get people to do things. How do you do it? We'll challenge people on that and say, look, you can't force someone to do anything. And if you do, it's not a good outcome. You know, we've seen it as well with some big corporates over the years. I'm sure everybody banks with someone that's a large organization or maybe has their phone with some organizations. Let's not mention any names, but there's been some stuff where people have gone, this is now all online and we've just taken away the call center. We've taken away the branches. There's been a lot of that over the, the last few years and forcing people to do something for your own benefit doesn't often end well is in our experience and, and I think in some of their experiences too because I feel like they've probably become a less less rigid since some of these experiments. But, yeah, the question you've got to ask yourself is more so not how can I make people, it's how can I 
entice people to do it. And the thing is, if it's a better experience, they'll get rid of the old crappy one that you've currently got. <laughs> like they will self-select. They will choose to stop calling your call center if it's better to do it online. So just make it better for them. That's as simple as that. We did this project, uh, this is years ago now, but it's just such a good example, I feel, on this, where this organization had some operational challenges. It was a very CFO-type, cost-driven type project. And this organization wanted to put a number of their interactions with their clients online. And it was all about cost saving, but they knew that they didn't have the money to really pay for the technology unless they could somehow take it out of their operational expenses. It was quite difficult. So we had to get this really good balance of shifting the traffic, but doing it in a way that is going to happen from almost day one. So we had to have, it had to be a kick-ass experience, like not being around the bush, like it had to be a kick-ass experience from day one. They didn't have the time, like some organizations have to launch something that is essentially just putting their current service online. They had to make it better from the start to entice people. And it was really interesting. We did, we did use co-design as the way to solve that problem. There was, there was a bit of co-design, a little bit of human-centered design as part of it. What we're able to do was really understand what were those high-volume interactions, but also which of them would be most likely for people to do online. And then we sort of co-designed them with those people to sort of understand, well, if you wanted to do them online, what would you need to see? Like, what would you need to get? And people were very much around, like, it needs to be easier, it needs to be faster, it needs to be, you know, I don't, you know... It's to be a better experience, essentially, at the end of the day. And there was a number of different design principles that came out of those discussions. But essentially what we're able to do was it was kind of the win-win because we're able to look at volume from the organization's perspective, but then we're also to look at desirability from client's perspective. And having those two, there's a sweet spot in between those two. There are certain high volume activities that people are like, there's no chance you could ever get me to do that online. Like I need to speak to a person. That's very sensitive. It's very personal. I'm just not ready to put that online. And we were like, you could speak to a bot. No, no, not interested. You could speak to a person through a chat. No, no, I need to know from the person's tone of voice that I'm okay. And not, okay, all right, we get it. So some of those we just didn't touch at the, starting, at the start of it. And they did go on to some to looking at some of those once people got in, but it was those transactions that were like, oh yeah, I don't care. Like that's just changing my address, or that's just giving you some information, or that's just upgrading or downgrading something. Like those types of things, they were really non-emotional, and that's what we found with this particular project was important to people. And so we were able to find what were those in that cross section of things that people didn't need to speak to somebody about and that they would do online. And then we worked out, well, how would that look like? And so essentially, yeah, we came up with a whole heap of different prototypes, tested them, and they enabled this organization to achieve what they wanted to achieve in terms of the operational innovation, but that also for consumers and their clients, they loved this thing. Like they didn't even have to market it. They put it out there and it started spreading and they just emailed their existing clients and said, this is now available and this is what it's going to do for you. And they just sold the benefits of it and people just jumped on and started using it and they never went back. You know, there was a point in the project where we had individuals within the organization saying, so let's just cut off, like let's just make, let's just downgrade how many people they can call. Or like, let's like do it. It's like, no, like get this bit right and you will just see that traffic just naturally change over. And I, I think that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about like, understand what people need and understand what they want and then give them that. And if you get that, you will achieve what you want to achieve. Such a great example. And one of the things that I really love is obviously when it comes to that consultation piece and making sure that you're really taking into account what 
people need and what they really value and and using that as your starting point. You know, we hear it all the time like, oh, look, that would be great, but, you know, we really need to get moving and we don't have time. And so often we see that even spending a day or two actually really centering this and 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 speaking to your consumers and getting them engaged and involved the understanding that that builds and the ability then to make really good quality decisions right throughout the rest of the project always means that you you kind of recoup that time and then some. So, you know, to go back to your example, you can force people to do stuff, but that you lose people. Clients are really good at mashing the system. You know, you, you talk to anybody that rings an organisation <laughs> about using the IVR and they're like, oh, no, I just press zero till I get to a real person, <laughs> using my mum's language now. <laughs> I just press the same button till I get to talk to a real person. So if you don't make the experience better for clients, they will redesign the experience to get the outcome that they want. I mean, how many people tell you that they always pick sales or they pick a complaints line because then you get somebody who's better quality to talk to? You know, there are all these things that that clients do because they want to make sure that their needs are getting met. Whereas if you spend that time in the beginning making sure that you're understanding their needs and designing that into any changes that you make, that's when you come up with these innovations that actually lead to outcomes that are beneficial both for the business and for your clients. There you go, guys. There's a, there's a number of different definitions there and what innovation is. I think in summary, you know, it doesn't need to be something that is new or sexy. It can be totally pragmatic and practical for people. Like we said at the start, going back to that Gary Hamill quote, for us, innovation is to amaze customers or clients with something that they could never have imagined, but after having experienced it, can't imagine ever having lived without it. And that can look like using modern technology or old technology, but it's the essence of it all is about does it make something better? And I think if we keep that solution, uh, that uh, definition out there, I think that makes it easy for people to understand what are we really trying to achieve here? So Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this one. Any links that we talked about, we're going to chuck that in the show notes for you. And yeah, we're looking forward to seeing you on the next one. Great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.